This is Victoria Cartagena. I play Renee Montoya on Gotham, and you're listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Hey, this is Andrew Stewart-Jones. I play Christmas Allen on Gotham, and you are listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Gotham TV Podcast. I'm Derek, one of your hosts. Hi, and I'm John, your other host. Um, basically, this is going to be an episode of our interviews from the New York Comic Con. Um, some of our listeners have p- clearly pointed out that we talked about New York Comic Con quite a lot over the last couple of months. <laughs> um, we had a really good opportunity to meet up with uh, most of the cast and uh, one of the creators of Gotham, and uh, some of the cast and, uh, and one of the creators of Constantine, uh, another Warner Brothers TV show that's, uh, that's on. Um, and we thought we'd share the audio with you. Yeah, like we were really lucky to be asked uh, to to go and do these round tables. And um, we were asked and invited by uh, Warner Brother Television uh, PR to to do this. And so it was a really great experience of the round table. We didn't think that we would be doing something like that when we booked the tickets for New York Comic Con. We were literally going to be queuing there to watch um, the Gotham panel on its own. Mm-hmm. And, of course, many other different panels like Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Constantine, uh, and so on. Daredevil being another one that yeah, we yeah. really were looking forward to. So, um, yeah, we were we were really um, fortunate um, to, to get that opportunity to do this and also to share it with um, you guys, our, our listeners, and also fans of the show. Yeah, so uh, really good. So quickly, just want to set up what this is. So the audio is not perfect. It wasn't set up in the way we set up our podcast. We're, we are not going to do a huge amount of editing on it, but we wanted to share the actual audio of, of our interviews with the with the cast. Um, so what a round table is, because we didn't know before we got there, <laughs> uh, what a round table is essentially is... Well, I knew what a round table was. <laughs> yes. Like, you... I know what an yes. oblong table is, or maybe even a square table. But also, because you're British, you definitely know what a round table is. Well, yeah. King uh... Arthur! <laughs> so essentially, a round table interview is where there's about, roughly about six journalists, um, and us, as we like to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh... <laughs> And boys in the corner. Exactly. Wearing, yeah. wearing our Gotham TV podcast t-shirts. Um, and essentially one member of the cast or a member of the, of the crew. Or, or <laughs> the only thing that would have made it better would be if we had actually gone as like Batman. Absolutely. <laughs> we did get a few comments from, uh, from a couple of the members of cast that uh, we may have been partially stalking on Twitter for the last couple of months uh, who uh, who really liked the t-shirts um, so uh, so yeah so really good we definitely were picked out and, uh, and it was really nice to meet the cast I hope you guys enjoy the interviews that we did um, but essentially just to give you a little bit of context of the noise that's in the room around us there's six people at a table one member of the crew or cast uh, being interviewed by them and all around us there was another five or six tables yeah. worth, worth of journalists yeah. interviewing at the same time so um, so hopefully this comes across really well hopefully you can hear the, the interviews we have written them up just go to the interview section on our website gothamtvpodcast.com if there's some particular thing that you might be missing or you know some of the colloquialisms that uh, that Matt Ryan as a Welshman is using and Aaron Richards as a Welsh lady uh, and Sean Pert we use as an Englishman uh, may be difficult to understand for some people so we've written up the interviews go to our website go to the interview section they're all written down there but we wanted to give you the full audio of the uh, of the interviews that we did exactly so just to set up the timeline for these the interviews of the cast of Gotham were done the week the uh, balloon man 
uh, premiered in the US, uh, which has just premiered in the UK this week, um, and just before episode four of, of Gotham. Um, so essentially there's some spoilers for, for Balloon Man and some kind of future projection for what happens in the episodes after Balloon Man. The actors from Constantine had just premiered the pilot episode at New York Comic Con, and that has now premiered in the UK. So there are some conversations that happen about the pilot, and again, some future speculation about what's going to happen for the rest of the season. So just to kind of set that up, so the reason why we're releasing the episode now is basically you've seen exactly what we'd seen at the time when we interviewed the guys, um, and the reactions and some of the conversations fall on the back of that, that stuff that we saw. Yeah, and I mean, basically, we really just want to thank, at this point, um, Holly, Stephen, and Mark from Warner Brother Television PR uh, for inviting us and for obviously dealing with some of our questions that we may have asked, which could have been very basic and very um, sort of journalism 101. Absolutely. Um, But also, as well, we have to say a big thank you to the actors and creators and crew that were there um, for being incredibly, and I mean, we just can't stress this enough, being incredibly generous with the time and the answers to the questions that were posed to them by ourselves, but also by the other people who were at that round table. Yeah, the, the other actual journalists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we were delighted to be there. Uh, it definitely showed in, in, in the reactions to, to, from the cast. I think they were they understood how, how much we were enjoying it, and I hope you guys enjoy the interviews. Yeah. Um, so, what we'll what we'll do is we'll introduce who it is that's speaking before each of the pieces that we're going to drop in. We have uh, six interviews for Gotham. Um, we have Danny Cannon. Uh, Robin Lord Taylor, Aaron Richards, Sean Pertwee, Donald Logue, and Ben McKenzie. And then for Constantine, we have three interviews, and that will be David S. Goya, Angelica Salea, and Matt Ryan. Yeah, and we'll just break it up, and just in between each one, we'll just tell you who's about to speak, really. So uh, enjoy them, and send us your feedback on what you think to feedback at GothamTVPodcast.com. So to start off, here is our Gotham series of interviews from New York Comic Con 2014. And to begin with, we have Gotham's executive producer and director for episodes one and two, Danny Cannon, who discusses the creation of Gotham, the connection with his other police procedural shows, his favourite villain, and the possibility of other vigilantes on Gotham. So talk about the origins of... This where series. the idea came from? Yeah, the whole process. Like, because, you know, last thing, off, offbeat idea. Uh, Bruno Heller um, uh, had spoken to DC about this this idea. Um, the origins go back even further than that. But basically, um, he he sat me down on Thanksgiving, uh, which is the only time we had, and uh, he said he gave me the the pitch basically, which was uh, to uh, go back in time in Gotham and meet the only honest cop left. And um, it was great because it was the, the conversation we had was about, in 20 years' time, what will make a city like this need a masked vigilante to save it? And uh, how, why would the villains be so outrageous? So we start from that foundation. We had a long way to go. And then we, we start to, uh, you know, Jeff Johns and uh, DC Comics allowed us to go in and, and we talked about origins of characters and who had them and who didn't. And we were amazed at how many didn't have them. So uh, that, that enthused us. So, I mean, obviously you've done a lot of other kind of like police shows. Obviously you've got a huge experience with that. I mean, how, I guess that must have been obviously useful with, with Gotham. 
What's nice about yeah, I spent a lot of time doing that. Um, and then in Gotham, you get to throw it all out again because uh, you know, let's move the body, let's do that, let's <laughs> yes. smoke around the body, yes. let's you know, spill my coffee on the dead guy's face. <laughs> it, it's um, it, it's going back in time, and uh, it's it's a it's a New York City without gentrification. It's a New York City without uh, Giuliani or Bloomberg. You know, so so um, it's a city that's spiraling out of control. So the procedural thing goes out the window. True. And which was your favorite villain to uh, think, work out the oh, details of? Well, I gotta say, uh, I, I, I prefer the villains that are upcoming. Uh, uh, we, still, <laughs> we still have uh, many to go. Um, you know, and I, I gotta say, I'll say Bruno's a villain that he created from scratch, Fish Mooney. I thought that was a beautiful, elegant thing, and, and Jada took it up a notch and uh, made, made what was written even better. Um, now that we've introduced the Vigilante Balloon Man, is this kind of speculation that there could be more vigilantes coming within within the series of Gotham? Yeah, um, I think I definitely. I think a city that uh, uh, can't trust its uh, mayor or police department or um, can't tr- can't trust your neighbour, uh, <laughs> there's always got to be somebody attempting to do that. And as the show progresses, um, uh, the way we get to see um, uh, David um, Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way he navigates through it too is very interesting. Right, right. And we see any of the existing cast taking on a vigilante mantle? Will there be a, a Montoya? I, I could movement? not tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you plan on exploring any of the uh, supernatural elements in the DC universe? No, we're very feet on the ground over here. I think, uh, you know, who knows, who's to say where a series goes in the end? But for now, we're very happy with the fact that it's very grounded. Uh, even though Gotham is a crazy, slightly theatrical world, um, I, I'd like to think that it's all very credible. So for, for now, we're just going to stick with that. Um, uh, given that the um, a number of the DC shows now on TV all involve police forces or have police forces, um, what are the potentials or possibilities that there could be crossovers between different DC properties? Very interesting. Again, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, right, right now. I, I think whatever exists on air is apples and oranges. It's a, tonally, it's a different. It would be a big tonal shift. But um, yeah, no. I'm, I'm God. In the first season of a show, as long as we keep building the reality of that situation and keep honouring the, the, the great legacy of work, then um, I'll be happy with that. Season two will will we'll start again. Cheers. Thanks. Uh, there's besides the obvious city models with uh, like a Chicago or whatever. Do you have any other city models or stories of cities that had such a decadent scenario that enhance or in, in any way insinuate themselves into your thinking? Well, you know what we talked about actually. Uh, you know, the two things when I talked to Bruno about the tone of the whole thing, because you know he knew he needed a partner in, in doing the show because it's, it was quite an undertaking. And and I talked about not just New York in the seventies. I actually talked about Dickensian England. Which he really, I mean, Bruno's one of the best well-read writers I've, I've ever worked with. And uh, we talked about Dickensian London and the haves and the have-nots. And that's something that really plays into it. We talked about grim fairy tales. Um, and I talked about westerns also in that a western town was a great way to tell moral stories. Um, but just put a slight, you know, it's easier, it's easier to digest moral stories when they're played out in a neutral town. Do you know what I mean? And that was why Westerns throughout the 50s, 60s and 70s in America were always incredibly popular because 
you know, a, a, a contemporary moral story is easy to, easier to play out in, in, a, in a nondescript town. All right, I wasn't even thinking of. Um, I gotta take. Sorry. sorry, let me grab one picture then. One more for safety. I was even thinking of the Roman Empire too. Well, that that I would let Bruno talk about. Thanks, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Uh, next up, we have our interview with Robin Lord Taylor, who discusses his thoughts on the character of Oswald Cobblepot, how he prepares for the role, what he takes from previous live-action versions of the character, and if the Penguin moniker will stick. He also has a great tie. Hi, everybody. Hi. How are you? Good. Thank you. Yes. Mark, please. Fantastic. How's everybody doing? Good. How are you? Good. Good. Really good. Good to see you. Another con. Another day, another con. Yeah. Hundreds. So tell us of what, how did they prep you for being in this series? I really didn't get a lot of prep. I mean, the most, it, it, like, I, uh, you know, when I auditioned, I didn't know what I was auditioning for. It was a fake scene. It was, um, you know, they, it was like the Untitled Warner Brothers project or something. And then, like, it was like uh, the night before I went in, I got the tip off on what it was. And they were like, oh, by the way, you're auditioning to play the Penguin in the new Batman, you know, you know origin story. So it's like, okay. But, you know, at that point, like, I was fully prepared. And, like, you know, I just, like, went in and, like, did, did what I did. And, like, you know, and it worked out. And then I have to say, like, in terms of preparation, like, I'm so lucky. Like, the scripts that Bruno writes and, and the world that he's created along with Danny Cannon, it's just so fully realized that it, it's just all there in front of me. You know what I mean? Like, I, it's and the weirdest thing. It's like, it just, when it's right, it's easy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or it just feels like, yeah. I mean, you didn't feel like you wanted to see previous incarnations. Well, that was the thing was, is like, how could you not see previous incarnations? You know, like I grew up, but Adam West series played after I came home from elementary school. I'd seen all of that. I'd seen Batman Returns a billion times. And so I was like, more, I could recite that movie from memory. Um, but, you know, like, and, but, you know, and I knew, like, from the script that, that they were going in just a totally different direction. Yeah, okay. um, but at the same time, you know, you're influenced by, like, you know, to follow in the footsteps of Bridges Meredith yeah. and Danny DeVito. I mean, how freaking amazing is that? <laughs> and then, like, you know, the one thing that, like, they both brought to it was just that sense of fun, yeah, you know, yeah, where, yeah. which can be hard because it's a dark world and you're playing a villain and you don't, you know, you, you want to bring that you know with you so that's definitely like what I took away from their performances and I'm you know trying to bring it into this you know yeah. like it's a process um, that's a great tie by the way um, you can much. your character hates being called the penguin but will we see him will we see Oswald embrace the name as the season progresses and Very take on so. that moniker yeah well and I think that's a that's one of the pivotal moments in the first episode is for me personally, like you know, like like since he was a child, he'd been called Penguin, and that was you know very hurtful, and you know he was like a victim of bullying, and like and a lot of it was centered around his appearance and his interests and all of his you know eccentricities. Um, but I think the moment that he comes out of the water in the first episode, I really do, and you know, sounds trite, and I for, forgive me, but like it, it is like a rebirth in a way, and I think that's the moment where he really embraces that. You know, it's like you when you embrace, you know, the yeah. thing that you hate the most, you take the power away from it and you take it on yourself. And I yeah. think that's him just sort of harnessing that power and like, you know, okay, you're gonna call me a penguin and I'm the 
freaking penguin that you, let's go. You know what I mean? Yeah, right, exactly. And that's, you know, propels him into the rest of the series. So. And you did you spend a lot of time? Uh, uh, which, which, which part? Just the water. The water? Well, <laughs> thankfully, the short one. <laughs> thankfully uh, we shot, we shot all of the main water, all of the water stuff was inside and they, they kept it bath, bath temperature, which was, which was nice. But, uh, I, I th hopefully I sold it, you know, <laughs> a little shiver going on or something. You, about, the, about the mannerisms, did you spend a lot of time, once you knew you were going to be Penguin, did you spend quite a lot of time developing the mannerisms I, and kind of accentuating them, you know, after you'd, you know, been in the water, so you come across as a slightly kind of accentuated version of the previous character? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was definitely part of the work that went into it, and, my, you know, like, one of the best things about, you know, with in regards to his walk, yes. um, what I love about it is that it's an actual injury. It's, mm -hmm. it's something that we see established, mm -hmm. and it's something that, like, like this whole show is doing is like bringing some reality into this fantastic world. So it's not just like two-dimensional characters. No. And so yeah, I was hobbling around the apartment like a moron, <laughs> working on it and making sure like it looks good. And then yeah, and then we yeah, Danny was there to like help make it more natural and organic. So yeah. Thank you guys. That's all the time we have. Great. Thank you. I want to get that tie. You know. No, we got to get the tie. <laughs> 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 yeah. Thanks very Thank much. You so much. Thank you. Thank you. We now have our interview with Welsh actor Erin Richards, who plays Barbara Keane. She discusses her thoughts on the character of Barbara, her relationship with Ben McKenzie's Jim Gordon, how she deals with attention from fans, and the strong characters on the show. Hello. Here we go. Hello. Very well. How is everyone? Hi. Hi. Well, I guess I'll ask the same question. Tell me about how you, you know, once you were told you were doing this, or the process of getting into it, and then what were you were told to, to do to prepare? Because you know, you're talking about a legendary city, a legendary project, and uh -huh. city. So yeah. it's interesting to hear what your mind. Uh, well, nobody told me to do anything, which was nice. Um, <laughs> I I got the job uh, during pilot season, and. I did a, a rounds of auditions uh, with our fabulous creator Bruno Heller and Danny Cannon, our tech producer, Brits, yep. which is nice, we all Always. got on very well <laughs> in the room, um, and got the job, was over the moon, I've always loved Batman, obviously working with these guys is fantastic, and um, on such a, you know, incredible, um, highly anticipated series at the time, and um, then I sort of went about going back over the movies, which I've always enjoyed, um, and watched all of those again and then read year one which is the, the comic that Barbara appears in lots but for me I mean Barbara doesn't come up um you got, so. it, you got enough shots. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is that every time I try to get a shot, you move. Right, I'll oh. stay still. <laughs> no, you can talk. Okay, so um, Barbara uh, is, is um, for me, she's a bit of an open book because mm. she's not in the comics that often That's and right. also she's in her finished form. Um, so for me, it was just about finding something that was interesting and relevant and would work with what um, Ben has created in Jim Gordon yeah. so that we could really kind of forge a, like an interesting story and a, and a dynamic that people would want to watch. Right. What about the chemistry, sorry, no okay. chemistry between uh, yourself and Ben? Obviously, it's, it's a key, you know, pivotal relationship in the show. Yeah. So I guess you're obviously bouncing off each other. Yeah. I mean, we, we get on great as people. We went to watch him uh, do a radio play last night. Oh, really? The whole cast are really very supportive of each other and yes. we hang out a lot. And I get on really well with Ben. We've got kind of similar, we, we approach acting in the same way. We have really similar backgrounds. We both did a, a degrees, uh, politics degrees. Oh, really? Okay. We had, like, the first time we met, we had so much to talk about. And, and just, it's really nice to, to be able to get on and kind of 
of feel course. like you yes. can because we do a lot of pretending it's, yes. it's not too hard with Ben he's a good looking guy uh, I can't remember, sorry. Yes, ben. Um, There's so much attention on this show. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I promised I wouldn't interrupt. Yeah, 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 yeah. You go. But just real quick. Yeah. Um, what is it like interacting with the friends when the, uh, the fans when there's so much anticipation here? Like, can you tune that out and just do? The oh, I don't think like, we need to tune it out. Like, I, I really, I really enjoy on Twitter interacting with the fans, and I, I like getting questions about my character, and I, I like. We feel um, obviously a, a great kind of sense of. Um, pride for what we're doing and what's the word I can't think for the fans um, we're like really dedicated and, yeah, yeah faction and it's responsibility we feel like a great responsibility um, isn't that like a Batman thing with great yeah it has Spider-Man's in there as well um, we feel a lot of um, that word that I just said Responsibility, responsibility yeah. to the fans because they are obviously really into Batman and we, we want to deliver a program that they are interested in and proud of and feel like it's you know because it, we're up against the big boys you know like the films are what mm -hmm. is everything in everyone's mind so we're hoping to deliver something that is a good kind of um, beginning because obviously we're telling the origin stories you know like and it fits with what they have kind of grown to love in their in their finished forms of those characters. You do a great job. Thank you. Thank you. No, no, it's got to be you. It's you. I used to be a waitress, so I'm a barman. I was a barman, so I'm like, I've got you on deck. One of the big things about, about Gotham is the strength of the female characters in the show. Can you tell us a bit about Barbara's strength, where she gets it from, yeah. where she brings it to Good character, food? good question. I'm glad we came to you. Um, yes, Bruno um, Heller, our fantastic creator, writes amazing female characters. I've always watched his programs, always had these fantastic female characters, which is so brilliant to play and so important and I feel like telly really is leading television is really leading the way at the moment with this and Barbara um, personally I feel like she's such an interesting character she's really strong very intelligent she's really motivated she's always she comes from money but I think it doesn't even matter if you know you, you still have to it sometimes it's harder I think if you come from money to really find a path in life because you get given everything on a plate so she's really kind of forged her way and she's got all of this history behind her and I think the really interesting thing about Barbara is even though she's really strong which loads of most women are really strong she also has all of these amazing like weaknesses and character flaws and all of these things that it doesn't take away from her strength it's like just another part of her because this is the fantastic thing about Bruno's writing is um, a lot of women on TV are just kind of boxed you know like that's the hero that's the you know the, the poor broken-hearted one and Bruno and other amazing writers at the moment I think especially for telly are creating women who are just multifaceted like they have they can be strong but at the same time they can be like lonely and hurt and that's just everyone you know it's women and men it's just people but finally we get to like play those Cheers. Cheers. here we get to talk to uh, the British actor Sean Pertwee he discusses his thoughts on the larger role of Alfred in the show the connection with previous versions of the character and being at New York Comic Con with a show like this uh, Sean was a pleasure to talk to. Uh, he instantly recognized us as Gotham TV podcast and said thank you directly to us and to all of the fans for uh, for our support over the last couple of months. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Hello. Tomorrow I guess night. they should have the lead question. <laughs> <laughs> How are you guys? Great. Right. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah great. Loving this. Loving yeah. it. We just got here. I mean, I'm enjoying it so far. I'm going to be walking over there. So. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent.
Uh, right, okay. Um, so, with the casting of David Mazous, uh, yeah. uh, Brenna Heller said that, that essentially he's gotten such a bigger role in the show than was ever expected for Bruce. What does yeah. that mean for Alfred, for your character? It means that, that I'll be around a lot more as well. I think that we've developed... Uh, I have a son, as you probably know. I've got a son called yeah. Alfred as well, which is kind of a bit of a bizarre one. He's the same age. So, I have a sort of affiliation with... affinity with um, boys that age. And it's, a, it's really interesting. David is one of the most driven most fabulous actors I've ever worked with I genuinely mean that and it can be it can be difficult you know, with these really? young people young actors young men young girls he's extraordinary he's a focused driven guy and he can turn it on and he has a real sense of pain and darkness yeah. and we found our own sort of heartbeat we've begun to find our own heartbeat you're beginning to see it now by episode 3 I know there's a lot of people out there that are concerned about Alfred's parenting skills in the first couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great thing I was as well, I have to say. How would he know to be a, how to be a father? You know, he he comes from a military background. He uh, blames himself for the, the demise of the Wayans. He should have been there. He uh, never signed any contract to say that I'm now, you know, I'm going to be legal guardian at this point. So how, how would he know? The only thing, what we're trying to do, what we're developing, is, is finding a hook, a way of communicating with a young man who's suffering from post-traumatic stress. And then you start to discover that, that Alfred's got issues, he has rage issues, guilt issues, everything else. So we become a dysfunctional family. And, and it sort of it sort of starts to really, really get out there by episode eight. You'll see a sort of marked change and a, and, a, and, a, and a real marked flag in the sand in which direction they're going. <laughs> Obviously, your Alfred is following on from or kind of prefiguring uh, Michael Caine in, in the films. Yes. But obviously, in the old days, Alfred used to be a bit more posh. But do you think that are, are you interested with the kind of the marine direction, kind of slightly well, not Cockney, but kind of slightly he less? Actually, he's, he's from the East End. He's from um, you know, he's from, he's from the East End. He is. He's a military guy. His father. The, our Bible. I wrote a Bible. I didn't write. I wrote a Bible and I presented it to Bruno on the first day. I tried to stay away as much as I can. I tell him about so much respect for yes, my preceding, preceding Alfred. I mean, they're just absolutely genius. Yeah. Every one of them. I would say. Um, so you have to. You have to find your own sort of sync. You have to find your own rhythm. Your of own course. Thing. So um, I presented it to him that, that, uh, that my father would have been a butler for the Waynes. Was ill. I went yes. there. I left the services to go to aid, to aid him in his deathbed. Mm-hmm. He passed away, and I took the mantle of being the valet, the, the, the Batman to, to, to the Waynes. And so, yeah, and you will see the development of their relationship over the, the next ten. And I think that what I loved about Sir Michael's interpretation was he represented the common man. Yes. And that's why I think I'm here. What is it like bringing this show to Comic-Con and like really presenting this to the fans and interacting with them? It's going to be very interesting. We're very excited mm-hmm. about it because we've been sort of quite cosseted in our lifestyles because we've been working so hard. And so it's really nice. Ben's done the before I've ever done it before. So it's going to be lovely to see the reaction. And so you uh, are going to use your parenting skills to good work? Yes, it's a very yeah, good point. As I said, you can treat your son like that. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> come to our penultimate Gotham uh, interview with Donal Logue, who plays Harvey Bullock on Gotham. Um, and in the interview, he discusses the similarities and differences between Harvey Bullock and the other characters he's played before in other shows, the impact of Ben McKenzie's Jim Gordon on his character, the burden of comedic relief and future broadening scope of Gotham and the characters within it. Hello. Hello. 
stuff. How are you? Pretty heavy uh, independent films to a, a pretty heavy character in TV. Uh, do you feel it's like a natural evolution, or do you? It's all. It's you know when you when you're younger and you do college theater or something. I remember we would do. We would do something like uh, a Joe Wharton play, and then you'd be rehearsing the Sam Shepard play you'd do next mm -hmm. in the day and do the play at night. So it's an, just being an actor. You know, mm -hmm. and especially the old school. Look at look at guys like Burgess Meredith and those kinds of careers. You know what I mean? So your job is to go all over the map, and it's not. It's it's a little tricky, but that's what the fun is. So what's some your take said, on this? Oh, I'm sorry. What's I, your take just on to follow up, some people have said the process of TV is different than the process of film. That's why I asked. I'll give you a good story on that one. So when I first auditioned for anything ever, it was a miniseries about Common Ground, which was the Pulitzer Prize winning book about the Boston busing crisis in the mid 70s and so this woman Meg Simon who actually cast Warner Brothers with uh, cast the show with Warner Brothers discovered me in Boston I was a theater actor and I went into audition for this thing and I was reading it and I said I don't know man I've done a bunch of plays I hear stories am I supposed to be smaller like I hear the process and this is even talking film versus television she goes just act the effing scenes, <laughs> right? And I was like, that kind of, you know, if you think that way, you're thinking the wrong way. You know, every, you know, every medium requires its own type thing. Like, I did a sitcom for years, and at first it wasn't supposed to be in front of a live audience, and they made a decision to change, and I didn't know how I felt about it. And uh, John Lithgow said, it's a two-act play in front of an audience. It's fantastic. You know, it's just you're like, okay, it's its own animal that way. I, and John Lithgow. To me, is kind of the king. He's in, in, when you talk about bouncing between all the mediums, and he's an amazing guy. Super, super great guy too. What's your take on this character? Because he's so complicated and he's so layered, and you do a great job. Oh, thanks. I think my, I think my take is just that. Like most people, the difficulty I have is that he also seems to have to carry a little bit of the burden of comedic relief, and so it's just feathering, finding that balance of when. When it's real serious, when it's dark, when it's hard, when it's kind of goofy, and and so um, it was. I had done comedies in the past, and, and you're kind of living fully in the sunshine of that side of the street. And then I was like, I went to Sons of Anarchy and Vikings and Copper and stuff, and so then it was comfortable because you you know exactly it's dark. And so this one, this, I was like, whoa, this is a little tricky to bounce back and forth, almost arbitrarily so. So. <laughs> Um, do you see him fun. as corrupt, or do you see him as just? I think a lot of people yeah. are corrupt. I mean, I think. Uh, I think <laughs> yeah, in this. I, I mean, I think if you, you know, I have friends who work in, you know, over the course of your career, you luckily you get to meet people who work in law enforcement. You meet criminals. You meet, you meet people in the military, and they're like, you know, it wasn't cool, but we had to do kind of a deal with this warlord to get through that. You know, it's like that's the world, and if you want to think that it's. Um, you know, I'm sure a lot of young idealistic people have marched into places like Washington D.C. and into a police department and been like, "Well, I know how the, what the culture is, but I'm going to change it." Yeah. And you're like, and it and it's not, it's not that everybody's corrupt either. There's just gradations of some things you let slide and some things, you know. There's big T truth and small T truth, and he knows so, how it works. I think he does. I think at the end when you catch him, he really just wants to get to the finish line. He may want to stash some money on the side you know, legally or not, and he wants to get to his pension, and then Jim Gordon comes in and he's seen 50 of these guys, except they've never been Jim Gordon, they've never had the kind of moral fiber of this guy, and it reawakens in Bullock the thing that 
you know, Jim Gordon's such a strong character that it that it changes Harvey. You know, it reminds him of who he used to be, I think. What's the appeal of, of you know, and I haven't just played in police shows, but you seem to have played in quite a few of you had life and you've got this. I mean, what's the appeal for you as an actor? Or is it just a different role? I would say it's just a different role, you know, because um, trying to stay as flexible as possible because I have respect for all roles and professions, but yes. there's something so iconic. You know, I just came off, when, when I did the pilot for Gotham, I was doing what I thought was a really thrilling run on Law & Order SVU, and, and um, so, uh, which I loved a lot, and you know, to be able to play, there's something so iconic about the New York detective. Of course. You know, there's, a, there's this, London wouldn't be, on, you know, any big city, but there's a million amazing stories happening every night every day there's stuff going on here and these guys get to beeline to the yes. strangest darkest part of the human condition and i think there's something fascinating about it um will we will we get to see the story behind why christmas allen um is no longer with harvey bullock in i think we get i think we get to see we haven't gotten to it we haven't gotten to it yet mm -hmm. but we get more backstory on on you know montoya and allen and the MCU. You, yeah, and, and hopefully what's nice too is that I think that the show is starting to breathe more into the worlds of Selena Kyle, Bruce Wayne, Alfred Pennyworth, which I like. Like, it was fun to have so much focus on uh, Gordon and Bullock's partnership, but it's such a big world that it, I think people will be excited to start cool. seeing it breathe and, and open up a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, very much. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks very much. In our final roundtable interview from New York Comic Con for Gotham, we talked to Ben McKenzie, who obviously plays Jim Gordon, the central character on Gotham. Uh, he talks about the similarities between Alfred and Jim, his push-pull relationship with Harvey Bullock, Guide in the Darkness within Bruce, and his dream job of playing Jim Gordon. Is it like okay. uh, coming in and dealing with the fans and interacting? It's great. I mean, I'm really excited about this panel because we, you know, when we were in San Diego, the show wasn't on yet, mm. so um, it's an odd thing to interact with fans who haven't seen it yet because they're excited and, and also, you know, this is not going to suck, right? You know, kind of thing. <laughs> and you're like, no, no, I really think it's going to be good. Um, so this will be a real opportunity to, to, to see people who have actually now seen the show and what they think of it and get their questions. And what's it like playing an iconic character and making it completely your own? It's a thrill. It's an absolute thrill. It's a, it's a kind of a dream job in that respect. I mean, it was very intimidating initially because the character has been portrayed before and portrayed by some brilliant actors. Uh, but what's freeing about it is exactly what you pointed out, that we are showing how he came to become, how he came to be, how he how he sort of grew into the role of Commissioner. Um, and that's never been seen on film before. So um, it was a chance to sort of take advantage of the mythology and, and the sort of deep love for these characters, but also a chance to, to breathe fresh air into that. Well, they, they set up Jim as sort of a mentor to what Revolution sees. Yes. Uh, are we going to see more of that? It's sort of different from the comics, and what is it like sort of, you're basically helping to create Batman? <laughs> yeah, well, but I think I think Jim starts off trying not to create Batman. I mean, I think he, he, he is a law enforcement officer, and you saw that in the third episode with Balloon Man, who was the first vigilante that Gotham had seen actually targeting people who are morally corrupt, but going outside the law to do so. And Jim rightly is deeply concerned about this trend in Gotham, that if if um, 
if, if people choose not to follow the law, there is no law. You know, if people decide to go outside the law, even for the right, you know, moral reasons, um, the whole society falls apart. So um, uh, when he starts off counseling Bruce, he's trying to he's trying to educate Bruce on how not to fall into that trap because he sees a darkness in Bruce. He sees a, an incredible intelligence, an incredible. Uh, sort, of, sort of incredible integrity in this young boy, but he also sees a darkness and an anger that he's trying to to uh, direct in the right way. So, so you have this area to negotiate between when you know the murder and when he the full-blown Batman. What do you do to, to envision who he might be? Is there any kind of a guiding source or train of thought in your mind? Who Gordon would be? Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, well, it's 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 actually quite straightforward in a way he's he's a he's a warrior he's a military man so he came straight off the front lines pretty much back to gotham where he he saw heavy action and and um and so he approaches it with a with a uh, military man's perspective uh, moral morally rigid um can do stoic you know, fight forward, fight forward, fight forward, don't look back. Um, unfortunately, he realized that the terrain is much more complicated than than even the war he was in, the war in which he was fighting. So he has to learn how to live in in Gotham and get things done. Um, cutting deals, educating himself, perhaps perhaps making decisions that morally are dubious um, in order to get the kind of positive change that he wants. And this is the backstory that's in your head. They haven't said do that. You really well. We talked about it. I mean, you know, it's set up in the it's set up in the pilot that he's a military man. Um, uh, Harvey Bullock leaves Essen's office after trying to basically get rid of the kid and says, oh, you're a war hero, your daddy is a big DA, and I can't get rid of you because of all that stuff. We don't we don't dwell on it, and, and hopefully we won't do you know flashbacks or anything like that, just because they're clunky. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's the approach. I mean, he's basically, he was raised that way from the beginning because his father was a DA. And a, and a revered DA, and, and a noble man, perhaps not quite as noble as Jim thinks he was, and uh, and so he's always prided himself on this 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 morally rigid um, stance, and yet um, he'll learn that perhaps he can't. He has to be a little more flexible. Like so are, are there any more parallels between Gordon and and, um, and Alfred? They're both military men. Obviously, Alfred is in the Marines, and Gordon is in the Army. Are there any? any parallels between the two characters? There are. Uh, the parallels are, are, as you said, that their 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 approach to perhaps life, I guess, being a bit bit sort of stoic about it. At the same time, Alfred has receded from sort of the battle lines. He doesn't. He's not working on the ground level, law enforcement, and. Um, and his charge is to take care of Bruce, um, but his his school of parenting is a bit um, unusual, let's say. And uh, and Jim's is actually oddly, I think, probably a bit softer. He's probably trying to actually talk to the boy, and 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 and. and 
get him to understand things on a deeper emotional level. Whereas, whereas Alfred's probably coming from an older set where 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 children are supposed to be sort of managed and and taught things, and seen and not heard, seen and not heard, and 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 and. and drilled a bit, you know, sort of like you would drill soldiers yes. um, as he sort of fences around in Wayne Manor with them. Um, so yeah, it's a fun relationship, and they are they are essentially battling over Bruce's soul. To, yeah. to Your partner, Sorry, Harvey guys, Bullock. I gotta bring Harden against the panel. Okay, one, one, yeah, one. Your partner, Harvey Bullock, yeah. and has gone path of least resistance, and now you're that block in the way. Yeah. How does that um, develop over the season, that tense relationship where you're trying to maybe drag him out of yeah. the mire, but he's trying to drag you in? Yeah, it, it, we end up sort of sinking both back into it in a way. I mean, we sort of pull out and, and fall back in. Um, and of course, I'm hiding the secret from Harvey that I that I have not actually killed Oswald. And that will come back. And that will create yet another layer of tension between the partners. So it's a, it's a complicated relationship that will only become more so. But they do, they do, at the end of the day, teach each other things. Begrudgingly, they learn from each other. You know. Can they trust each other? Um, eventually... Probably, but <laughs> not yet. Not now. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. The light is weird here, so I'm trying to find to get you in the best light. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love the podcast. It's not your fault. I understand the circumstances. Yeah, we are hoping. We're really excited about seeing where it goes. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to show it off. I'm really proud of it. Thank you. So, we're moving on to the Constantine series of roundtable interviews now. And we managed to caught up with the executive producer and showrunner of Constantine, David Escoyer, and he chatted to us about a refreshing change of pace with writing Constantine, the fun of the punk influence on the character and the music for the show, his admiration for the Hellblazer comic series, and he revealed that someone will turn up on John Constantine's doorstep to pick up that helmet of Naboo that was seen in the pilot episode. You've done a lot of TV, you've done a lot of movies. Contrast the experience. Uh, someone once said that movies are like oil painting and TV is like watercolor. Um, the, the turnover time in TV is a lot faster. Uh, movies, you have a lot more time to perfect everything. Uh, TV, it's sometimes by the time you're into your third draft, it's time to go. Um, so on one hand... You know, that time constraint is harder, but also sometimes I think it's better to not overthink everything and go with your first instinct. But television, also, you get a chance to, re, to revisit characters and have characters grow and change over the course of the season. That's already happened in our first season. We've had a couple actors come in and really blow us away, and we thought, oh, they're amazing. Let's bring them back four or five episodes later. So in looking at the original version of the pilot to what viewers will actually see, what was the most... What do you think is the biggest change in terms of where the show is going now versus where the show might have been going from when they saw like, the trailer back in May at the end? Well, when we first started adapting Constantine, I think there was some concern with the audience that, that we needed a character that was the audience's point of view that wasn't part of this world. And so we created a character that was not part of the comic books named Liv uh, to embody that point of view. Uh, we made the pilot, and, and Lucy, who played her, did a great job, but as we started breaking the subsequent stories, we thought it would be much more interesting and challenging if someone were more of that world. And having seen the pilot, uh, we were able to convince NBC that maybe we should go in that direction, so we selected a character named Zed, who's also from the comic books, and 
And, you know, she has a really interesting backstory herself. She's not a blank slate. She's got a lot of mysteries. And she was able to go toe-to-toe more with John, uh, and it just made for some more interesting dynamics. You know, it's not... I think with, with John and Liv, you know, John was sort of the cut-up and Liv was the straight man or straight woman. And, and with Zed, they flip-flop those roles, and it's, it's just more interesting. Uh, you worked on a lot of different comic book adaptations. Um, when uh, when you approached doing Constantine compared to some of the more superhero properties, was there a difference in how you needed to approach the characters themselves, or did it kind of just evolve sure. the same way? Sure. I mean, uh, John doesn't have any superpowers. He's not a billionaire. He's not an alien from another planet. He's just a regular bloke. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't have a costume. He doesn't have a secret identity. If someone arrests him and throws him in jail, he's in trouble, and that does happen in the first season. Um, uh, he can't just like swoop in and have someone expunge his record. Um, it's it's kind of interesting after having written Batman and Superman to write someone who who doesn't have access to those powers or that infinite <coughs> amount of wealth to help him out. Also, he's not a hero hero. I mean, he's and he's a jerk. Yeah, <laughs> and it's really refreshing to write a character that's a jerk. No, you're focused. I'm sorry. Uh, we saw the helmet of Doctor Fate in the no. pilot screening, and <laughs> <laughs> um, there on Thursday. And um, how far um, is Constantine going to delve into the mythology that's being established within the comics? And well, the, the, should we continue on long enough? The plan is that we kind of have access to the broader. DC Universe, so even within the first 12 episodes, you'll see two or three characters show up that aren't part of Hellblazer proper, that are part of the larger DC Universe, Um, and the plan is that uh, eventually someone will show up on John's doorstep coming to collect that helmet. Well, actually, then my question is a perfect follow-up, because you're dealing with a a supernatural version of the universe in a number of projects, so it's a very different approach than taking maybe a more straightforward sure. superhero, kind of based in science fiction, but still the real world. How is it to envision things in that way? It's a really refreshing change of pace. Um, it's nice to be doing something that's scary. It's nice to be doing something that's a bit more fun. Sorry, funny. <laughs> I don't want to say more fun. Uh, Batman and Superman were a tremendous amount of fun. It's, uh, I'm a huge fan of John's roots. Uh, he was created in the 80s with a real punk sensibility, and we've actually licensed a lot of punk songs in the show. Cool. I'm proud to say, I don't know if this is a first or not, but we licensed a Sex Pistols song for episode three, so that's pretty fun to have John Constantine listening to Sex Pistols. I think he listens to Buzz Cox uh, Yeah, episode what, three as well. Yeah, good to hear such bands. Gang of yeah. Four? Not yet, but uh, hopefully we'll get there. Maybe some cramps and dead Kennedys. When there's such a rich pool of characters that you can pull from, how do you decide which ones you're going to bring into the story and when when is a good time? It's story-based. So we don't say, okay, we're going to do a story about Dr. Recalt. And I'm not saying we have done a story about Dr. Recalt, <laughs> per se. Uh, we talk about where it would be good for the story to go or come up with an idea for a story. And, and then we think, well, if there's an appropriate character in the DC universe that that fits with, then it makes sort of, you know, sense, you know, in a, you know organic way to bring that character in. And that's how Jim Corrigan entered the show as a recurring ter- character because we had a need 
for a homicide detective, and yeah. we thought, okay, let's bring in Corrigan. And since Hellblazer's such a long-running series, there's so much story, there's so many storylines to choose from, so many different runs. Do you have a particular uh, favorite storyline from Hellblazer? You know, I have a lot of favorite storylines, and I will say, even though the first season loosely tracks American Gothic, we've already adapted within the first 12 episodes a couple of other singular okay. issues. Um, we're trying to do a version of um, uh, one of the Delano uh, issues early on right now, and we did um, a really cool version of the Hunger Demon uh, issue. Uh, that's actually one of our better episodes, I think, so far. Sorry, you have a last question. Yeah. How soon do we learn more about Chaz? Uh, <laughs> nine or ten. Okay. Yeah. We'll turn over some cards relating to him. Do you have a hell of a comic book art collection? A hell of a comic book <laughs> <laughs> Bad choice of words, but you get my point. You must have collected some I've got some, some choice great. pages. I've got some cool artwork. some good shit, I bet. Yeah, I've got some good stuff. Who's your favorite artist? Oh, Lord. Contemporary or, I mean, old school Kirby. Yeah, well, yeah. And contemporary. I really like Steve Root a lot. Oh, very good choice. Yeah. Interesting choice. Next up, we have Angelica Saleh, who speaks to us about her character, Zed. Uh, Angelica has joined the show a little bit later. Um, she really will appear from episode two onwards, but had a had a brief cameo in the pilot. Uh, she speaks to us about joining the cast of The Boys, and she speaks to us about the psychic connection between her and John Constantine and how that might play out in the future. So what really drew the most to Zed? Her sarcasm. I love her sarcasm. I love that she doesn't take crap from anybody, especially John. And, uh, and I like that she's, you know, she's a little sneaky, and she's rough, and she's not afraid to get her hands dirty. I love that. It's like empowering women. I love it. Uh, so, Hellblazer was a very long-running series, and Constantine is still, he's, with, he's in the new 52, he has his own series. Um, when you got the part of Zed, did you need to go, how much did you go read? to catch up on who she is. And well, they gave me volumes of, of Hellblazer, yeah. and it was, here you go, this is Zed. I stayed in, instead of having a Saturday night out with my friends and stuff, I stayed in with uh, the bad boys of Hellblazer, and it, it, it knocked my socks off. And I, I, I got, that's where I got the sarcasm. So sort of understanding her, it's like, oh, oh, I see you. <laughs> What can you tell us about how Zed enters um, the picture in the TV series? Are you able to tell us anything about that? Well, the new trailer came out yesterday, a little teaser, and uh, we see her drawing, and um, that has to do with she, she's lost in her head. Zed is lost, and she literally just crashes into the world of John Constantine, and, and, and it just is... It's this of like whatever's going on in your head becomes reality, and it's that realization of you're not crazy. That's that said in the first moment of the meeting. Yeah. Yeah, we caught the pilot screening there on Thursday. Um, and it's kind of quite a creepy ending. And there's, uh, you're drawing away, and there's all those iconic pictures of, of John Constantine. Um, there seems to be a psychic connection. How much of the of a connection is there, and, and how does that play out, or it how evolves. does your it becomes even more? It gets crazy. It gets messed up. It gets to the point where she 
she opens. Oh, oh my God! I wish I could tell you. <laughs> it, 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 it's more. It's more than what we see. That is that. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. That it, it, it becomes a whole other level for that. Each episode gets bigger. Cool. <laughs> so obviously, you've just started. You, how long have you been filming? And um, without spoiling too much, obviously, do you have like a favorite moment? Okay. <laughs> um, so we've been filming since July. Okay. So we've been going for a while. We're so eager for Trump 24 to come. <laughs> um, favorite moment. Favorite moment. I mean, it's a moment between John and me in the couch in the mill house. And it's our first moment where we're actually real with each other. Where we're not, he's not sarcastic. I'm not being, you know, a bitch. <laughs> I'm not rough. I have no walls around me, and I am what I am. That's that's my because it's it's the real Zen, not this whole facade of who she puts out there so she can hide. Yeah. Who do you think is your biggest ally at the moment? John Constantine. He's he's the teacher. He he he's, to me he's you know. As said, he's, he's my teacher. He's he's the one that explains to me and and, and, and leads me into this world. And I and I I'm, you know Zed is like a very eager learner. You know, she's like yes yes I want to learn more and more and more. I want to get in there. So sounds good. Thank you. Thank you. And our final interview is of course with John Constantine himself played by Matt Ryan, who chatted with us about the challenges of fan expectations, playing the part of a scouser, as John Constantine is from Liverpool after all, and what's been his scariest moment to date. So did you do any Comic-Con stuff? Do I have I done? Did you get to go and do buy your comics? And... Yeah. <laughs> no, we just, I just flew in today. I flew in, came straight here, and then they fly me back out and I'm going on the trench coat and run around and uh, smoke some cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so well, since you started off, like, since you started with that, um, obviously, like, playing John Constantine is a great job, but as a character, what drew you to even want to do this, this part? The fact that he's, he's, um, he's tormented, he's guilt-ridden, he's someone um, with all this dark shit going on, but, but at the same time, he's someone flick the bird to the devil you know what I mean and do it with a smile and a wink it's yeah. like to be able to play those two things it's just like it's awesome you know it's 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 so three-dimensional and multifaceted and it's like you know I still feel like I'm just still peeling back you know the layers of him and getting under his skin and we're on episode nine now going on to episode ten and and and, and it's getting deeper and deeper as we go and, and what's great about a part like this is you just feel like you just keep, keep on going keep on going yeah. How would you prepare to be a petty dabbler of uh, the dark arts? And I suppose, even more importantly, how do you prepare as a Welshman to be a scouser? <laughs> Interesting question. So, um, first of all, uh, like reading the comics, you know, going to the source material, kind of gleaning as much of that as possible, and. Um, and then reading like a bunch of the Grimorians as well, you know, mm -hmm. the magic books, and, and then watching a bunch of movies like The Exorcist, and yeah. trying not to freak myself out too much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, um, yeah, so a bunch of that. And then, in terms of John being from Liverpool and you know being a scouser, I think that is something that 
early on I wanted to kind of really kind of get in touch with the DNA of the character and go for the essence of him rather than kind of just really playing a voice and, a, and, a, and an accent and I think that you know um, one of my best friends is from Liverpool and you know uh, I talked to him about it and you know uh, a bunch of the accent I think it's something that I wanted to really just get the essence of him so to bring in something to do a, a, an accent that was uh, accessible but uh, wasn't me yeah. wasn't completely me and Welsh you know but then uh, you know wasn't a, a hard scouse you yeah. know that, that was kind of an, a northern accent really yeah, okay. you know yeah. uh, so, and um, something that's going to be accessible but still has that kind of working class quality to it but it, 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 that, that kind of came about from me wanting to kind of find who the character was and the yeah. essence was and go for that rather yeah. than just kind of playing nice. That's what great, was, thanks. What, what was your spirit? relationship with Zed? Oh, it's feisty. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's really cool. It's like she's someone who, um, who doesn't take any of this shit, who gets in his face, you know. Um, they get on each other's nerves. They kind of, they have this interesting sexual chemistry between them they need each other they want to push each other away it's it's a really interesting dynamic and then I, I think that they really start to grow together as well you know and um, where we where we're at now is, is they're, they're, they're really in an interesting place and uh, it, it's a really kind of interesting chemistry they've got it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fun to play what was the scariest moment in your life in my life Probably since I've been doing this, man. Like, <laughs> comics before going to bed, and then like you know, being in in my apartment in Atlanta on my own, you know, in a strange place on my own, you know, hearing knocks in this strange apartment building, waking up in the middle of the night after, after a day shoot, like shitting myself. Um, yeah, that's probably what was I've done this because you're thinking about it all the time, you know, and then uh, you know, you read a comic. I'm trying to keep, I'm trying to keep reading the comics, even though you know we're working time. 12, 12 hours a day, you know, it's like you try to like keep the, the, the line to the source material, yeah. to the DNA, so that it's always kind of there in the background. And then you do that before you go to sleep, and then, you know, you think the demons and stuff. <laughs> so when you do, like, com comic adaptations, fans can be very critical, and they will judge you on every little thing you do. Um, does that ever kind of come into your mind when you're doing the role? This is such an iconic character. Yeah, well, you know, I think... It is. It's a lot of pressure, isn't it? And this, you know, it's the fans that are the, the, the reason that I'm here. The reason these comics are, are loved so much, and um, and you wanna you wanna do it justice, you know. Uh, but I think at the same time you have to kind of make it your own. You have to kind of be ballsy enough to go, okay, well, this is this is what I'm doing, you know, and and and, and hope that they like it, and, uh, and hope that you know my interpretation of it, and kind of you know the fact that I, I I really love the comics myself, and I'm trying to kind of keep a line to that all the time you know then you hope that that comes across but you can't really think about it too much I think because it can get in the way you know, very, you know it's there you know you, you, you want people to, to love something that they've, they've spent, spent a lot of time and effort reading you know something that they love cheers thank you so much just quickly then from each of these series of roundtable interviews the Gotham one and the Constantine one what one thing would you pull out of them that you know really sticks in your mind um, from the answers that, that, that they gave? I think I could have spent another two hours with Danny Cannon specifically. Um, the, some of the pieces that he talked about with us um, where he spoke about, you know, we asked him questions about, you know, what is, what's his favourite villain that's been on the show so far? 
And he talked about the ones we haven't even seen yet, the ones that haven't been announced, the one that nobody's revealed, because essentially when they went into DC and said, this is our plan, these are the characters we want to use, DC said to them, nobody's thought about this before. Nobody's discovered the origins of these characters before. You guys have free reign to talk about as many of them as you want to. And the excitement from him of the potential for the show was palpable. It was fab to, to just hear his, his reaction to that was great. How about yourself? For me, it was definitely points that were made by Donald Logue and also Sean Pertwee were it's the broadening out of existing characters so that Donald Logue essentially said that Harvey Bullock is going to get fleshed out further um, a lot further. You'll see a lot more of his backstory um, and who he actually is. Um, in particular, we may start to learn about um, his partnership his previous partnership with uh, Christmas Allen, and then obviously for Sean Pertwee playing Alfred Pennyworth, that his relationship with the young Bruce Wayne will begin to sort of blossom and broaden out, and there'll be a bit of life um, breathed into this obviously iconic relationship, um, and maybe we'll also see a, a bit of the kick-ass Alfred Pennyworth. Yep, absolutely. Uh, from the Constantine side, again, I don't know whether it's just the creator side and they have the background knowledge that some of the actors don't have or don't want to talk about. But David Escore talking about the punk music that they've that they've been able to license to get on the show and form the basis of the of the kind of music for Constantine. Um, I think that's such an awesome idea. You know, that when I was reading Constantine as a as a graphic novel. What's in my head is Sex Pistols. What's in my head is Buzz, Buzzcocks. What's in my head is the music that he spoke about as being central to the show. They're absolutely getting the, the, this tone right. And that's what came across with, with, with David S. Gore. You know, he, it, he, he knows exactly what tone he's striking. Hopefully he's going to achieve it. I, I, that was what really interested me. And how about yourself and Constantine? Yeah, I mean, I have, well, as always... Ask me to give you one thing, I'll give you two. Um, I'm like that. Two for the price of one. Um, I'm the same, definitely, with David Escoya. Um, I asked him directly about the helmet of Naboo, mm. the helmet of Dr. Fate, um, that you can see in episode one of Constantine, and just the fact that he said someone will be knocking at the door of John Constantine to ask for that helmet. Mm -hmm. That, to me, brilliant. That is excellent because certainly as soon as that helmet of Dr. Fate came on the screen at both the preview screening on the Thursday, the whole Warner Brother preview screening on Thursday of New York Comic Con, and then the pilot screening and the Constantine panel on the Saturday... Each time that that helmet was on screen in both of those two separate screenings, the crowd went absolutely wild absolutely. and mad. And I thought that was brilliant. Uh, that really got me excited yeah. for how people take on Constantine. Yeah. And then finally, it was Matt Ryan um, discussing about how you know he's taken this really iconic character that was um, created by Alan Moore within Swamp Thing, developed by John Delano um, in Hellblazer. He was, you know, blonde-haired, scouser, trench coat, chain smoker. And I just liked the idea, obviously coming and being born and brought up very close to Liverpool, um, 
then which folks if you're listening liverpudlians are called scousers yeah we're called scousers well not that i'm necessarily a liverpudlian of course um but never mind um was the fact that you know he has friends in liverpool and he just said you know it wasn't about nailing an accent it wasn't about sort of copying anything it was about finding his own way and you know i think from what he talked about it was that you know he's nailing the essence and and the fundamentals of this character and giving a accent that links to him being welsh but also where this character comes from which is from the north of england yeah yeah so i like that too and i adored the fact that you got to ask him as a welshman what do you feel like playing a scouser i thought that was (laughs) hilarious um and he seemed to love it too so um so yes we hope you enjoyed listening to the interviews as much as we did thank you so much for joining us you can obviously contact us at our website on gothamtvpodcast.com. You can also leave feedback or any comments at feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Gotham TV Podcast. Find us on Facebook at Gotham TV Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you again next time. Thank you so much again for listening. Gotham TV Podcast. Do not cross Alan and Montoya.